Good afternoon, family. We're going to go ahead and get started. I invite you to find your seats as we begin our time of worship today. And grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you. I remind you from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, that God proclaimed to the prophet Isaiah concerning his servant that he was going to send the Messiah. He said, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And this season that we have now entered into, uh, from our Christmas season, now beginning this week with Epiphany on Friday, and uh, now this first Sunday of Epiphany. Epiphany means to shed light on or to reveal. And God was, through his son Jesus Christ, sending his light to the world. And as we will see today in his baptism, in Jesus' baptism by John, he was revealed by God himself to be the beloved son in whom he was well pleased. So this is a good day. Amen. To be in the house of the Lord. Real quick, uh, just a couple of things. The smells that are coming from that part of the room are delicious and almost uh, interrupting. Um, but they are there just to tempt you uh, all through the service today. We have a great time in store of celebration, of fiesta, of, of, of party, uh, and enjoying. And this really is the, the cap off of all of our Christmas celebrating together today. It's been an awesome season uh, of Advent, of anticipation, of Christmas, of enjoying and celebrating uh, the last two Sundays, enjoying, tasting, and seeing uh, together that the Lord is good. Um, today, though, we're set up in the same uh, form. We're going to revert back to our normal structure of service, though it is still going to be a little bit shorter today than normal so that we can get to uh, the feast uh, that we have prepared. Before we get to the eating, though, we have a special uh, pilgrimage that we're all going to go on together. Uh, and so uh, when that time comes at the end of the service, Dana's going to instruct us and, uh, and lead us into that time. And uh, it's just going to be an awesome time together. A uh, real couple quick housekeeping items. Uh, first of all, uh, the offering box is there at the back of the room next to the sound booth. We don't pass a plate uh, during our service, but we do believe that our financial giving is a part of our worship. And so there's a giving box there uh, for you to give as you are led. You can give cash or check through the box, uh, or you can give online or text the amount you want to give to 84321. And uh, during our service, we'll pray both for the gift and the giver, that God will use both to his glory. Amen. Uh, also, uh, at the back of the building, there is a cry room for any of our moms who need to use it today. So make use of that as well. And I just want to say a quick thing. Part of our giving also is that people give uh, gift cards uh, that can be used for benevolence for people who are in need to be able to go out and purchase the things that they need with dignity and uh, right now the Lord has provided and, and, and we have a bit of a storehouse that's kind of building up with that and, and some people also in queue that need to be helped and so just want to praise God for that. Thank you for your faithfulness to continue to give above and beyond your normal giving towards that kind of a gift uh, that can be used in, in 
such a, a way that's a blessing for those who really are in need. So praise God for that. Would you stand with me as we begin our time of worship with prayer today? Beloved, our help is in the name of the Lord our God, maker of heaven and earth. Let's worship him together. Eternal Father, at the baptism of Jesus, you revealed him to be your son. Your Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Grant that we, who are born again by water and the Spirit, may be faithful as your adopted children. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Afternoon, church. Our Old Testament reading today comes from Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the Lord, God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, this is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. This is the word of the Lord. Now, yeah, in response to that, of course, it's always our vision and our regular practice to come to time of confession, now confession of sin. Um, not that we've not been forgiven by the Lord already, but because we enter this time of praise, uh, this time of sitting with God's word, of worship, uh, through the word, through song, uh, through prayer, through uh, a time of communion, through all these things, we prepare our hearts now uh, for receive uh, God's blessings through that. So take a moment now. A confession of sin, sir. Transgressions. And we know our transgressions, 
and our sin is ever before us. Purge us with hyssop, and we shall be clean. Wash us, and we shall be whiter than snow. Let us hear joy and gladness, but the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from our sins, and walk out all our iniquities. Create us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation, and uphold us with the willing spirit. Almighty, merciful God, our Father, grant us absolution and forgiveness of all our sins through our Lord and Jesus Christ, and love, loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom of priests. By his blood we have been made priests, and by your word we are declared righteous. Strengthen and sanctify us in all goodness, that we may serve you with all our hearts, and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep us in eternal life. Now, I invite you to join me now in our congregational response and joy to this uh, from Psalm 29. If you want to pull that up, of course, in the handout as well as in the app, and of course, in the Bible. Psalm 29. Join me as you're able now. Let's be, uh, as we type this all together. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon the skin of a cow, and Syria like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes his deer give birth and strips the swords of bear, and in his temple all cry alone. The Lord sits throne over the flood. The Lord sits throne as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Lord be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit.
uh, from Galilee to the Jordan River, uh, which was outside of Jerusalem. This was actually quite a journey. It was no small ordeal for Jesus to go from Galilee to the Jordan River. And so in that, we see what? We see intention and we see purpose, that he was journeying specifically to this place, to John, so that this moment could be take place. And so that, what did Jesus say to John? So that all righteousness might be fulfilled. Jesus was at this very moment a man on a mission. He was coming to do exactly what God had sent him to earth to do. If we uh, remember John's words, and we've looked quite a bit at John the Baptist through our Advent season. Uh, a lot of our readings were focused on John this year. And, and so what did we see? We see that John, uh, though he came before Jesus, though he was older than Jesus, though he was Jesus' relative, and in a sense, uh, if you want to say, he had this sort of familial authority over Jesus in the sense that he was uh, older than him in the family. He was his older cousin. He was several months older than him. Uh, if you've ever been, you have cousins, if you've been around them, uh, cousins are great at reminding you who came first. Uh, and so as Jesus started to grow up, I wonder if they had those kinds of conversations, how long it took uh, for John to realize that though he was born before Jesus, that Jesus came before John. Uh, in the sense, why? As Jesus would say in John uh, the Apostles' Gospel to the scribes and Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am, which speaks to Jesus' pre-existence before uh, what we call the incarnation, when he was sent by God from heaven to be born of the Virgin Mary. Yes, you heard that right. Jesus did not begin to exist when he was born uh, by the Virgin Mary. Rather, he has existed from before all time, together with the Father and the Spirit, co-eternal with them. And he was sent, and he was sent for a purpose. What did John identify Jesus' purpose uh, as when he looked at Jesus before his baptism, surrounded by his other disciples, he looked at Jesus, and what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This was Jesus' mission, to come to take away the sins of the world. Why could he do that? He could do that because, number one, he was God. He was the God-man, as Paul will frame it to Titus in his epistle to Titus. He was the God-man. But he was not only God. He was fully God and fully man. He came in flesh to represent us. He has become truly the mediator between God and man because he is God and man. And as a man, Conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he took on our flesh so that he might also take on 
our sin. Because that was how the Lamb of God was going to take away the sins of the world. If you remember from Old Testament study, in the time of the sacrifices, there were two animals that were brought before the priest. Do you remember this? We focus a lot on the lamb that was slain. But there was another animal, wasn't there, that was brought before the priest. The, the animal that we refer to as the scapegoat. And what would it take place with the scapegoat but that the priest would place his hand on the head of the person. And he would place his hand on the hand, the head of the animal. And he would pray a prayer asking God to transfer the sins of the person to the animal. And that animal would be led outside of the city and released, carrying away the sins of that person. The other animal, of course, was slaughtered and killed. Because as God's word says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Jesus came as that pure and spotless lamb who would at one time in the same person both take on our sin and be slain for it by dying a death on a bloody cross for us and in our place. But he would also raise up victorious from that place of death, conquering death and sin, and do what? He would be ascended to heaven to carry our sin away. Jesus accomplished both of those missions. And here at the very beginning of his ministry, we see him come and be baptized. Again, I say he came with purpose. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. He travels all this way to come to him and he says to his older cousin, hey, it's time. I need to be baptized by you. And John is beside himself. Imagine what it is like for him to be baptizing all of these people with what intention and purpose? What does it say? It says that he was baptizing them for repentance, for forgiveness. John knew, as he testifies again in John the Apostle's Gospel, that he was not the one, but he was the one who was sent before the Messiah to make straight the way, to prepare the way of the Lord. Which meant what? If he was not the Messiah, then John needed Repentance and the forgiveness of his sins just as much as every single person that he baptized in the Jordan River. So when Jesus finally comes to the river, it's no wonder that John himself is like, hey, it's finally my turn. Let me get in line. Let me get in the queue, Jesus. You baptize me. But instead, Jesus stops him. John wants to restrain Jesus from doing what God's called him to do. Jesus has to stop John and tell him, hey, we need to do this. We must do this. Why? He says, to fulfill all righteousness. Well, this is a funny thing, isn't it? If John is baptizing people for the forgiveness of sin, 
And Jesus is the God-man, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. Then what need did Jesus have to be baptized? He had nothing to repent of. He had nothing to seek God's forgiveness for. He was perfect. He had not sinned in the slightest way. He had never, either by an act of commission or omission, done anything to error. He had done nothing to miss the mark of God's holy, righteous perfection. And yet, as the God-man with authority, he says to John the Baptist, this must be done to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. I think because John is, uh, and his story is laid out for us in the New Testament, we often forget that John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And as a prophet, his word was what? Authoritative. What John said as an oracle, as a prophet of God, was authoritative for all of Israel. And what was John calling all of Israel to do? He was calling with God's authority for all of Israel to repent of their sins and to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And so in order for Jesus to come and fulfill all righteousness, he needs to what? He needs to do all those things that were required by God for all of Israel, both Israel in the Old Testament and Israel the church in the New Testament. And so Jesus is baptized to fulfill all righteousness. It's more than that, and we'll get to that in a moment. And so he is, he's baptized. John consents. And though he would be baptized by Jesus, rather he baptizes Jesus. The one whom he said, I'm not worthy to unstrap his sandal, is called by God to baptize God himself in the water. He who was without sin was baptized as if he had sinned, treated as if he were a sinner. That seems astounding. It seems wrong. Why should Jesus pure and spotless, perfect Lamb of God be treated like a sinner. And yet that is exactly what would happen on the cross, is it not? The pure and spotless, perfect Lamb of God would be crucified on a Roman cross, treated as a sinner, though he had never sinned. He was perfect. But though Jesus looked probably a lot like everyone else that was in the queue that day to be baptized, even as his baptism took place, just as every other person's baptism had taken place in those waters, yet his baptism was unlike anyone else's baptism. Why? Because as it is recorded for us, and interestingly, here we read it in Matthew the Mark starts his gospel with the baptism of Jesus. Luke's gospel records the baptism of Jesus. John's gospel records the baptism of Jesus. The baptism of Jesus will be rehearsed again in the book of Acts that we've spoken of throughout the New Testament. Here in Matthew's gospel, 
twice, Matthew says to us, Behold. In other words, what? Look here. Look. Behold. Look. I want you to see this. Let's think about what Matthew's done so far. Matthew begins his gospel. He starts with the genealogy of Jesus. He traces Jesus' line from Abraham all the way to his father Joseph and his mother Mary. He shows then how that the angel of the Lord had come and proclaimed Jesus' birth ahead of time, telling them even what they were to name him, that he was not to be Joseph Jr., but rather Jesus, because he was going to what? Take away the sins of God's people. Then we see Matthew show us how that even after his birth and all these things that had taken place, these three uh, uh, representations of gifts through different men that came from the east came to visit Jesus, showing that they believed without uh, Mary and Joseph ever saying anything. Imagine that. They weren't walking around saying, hey, guess what? My kid's the son of God. Hey, guess what? My kid has never sinned in his life. Hey, guess what? My kid came from heaven. And everyone be like, what? Yeah, right. Sure. Sure. That's, yeah. yeah everybody thinks their kid is the cutest, right? That's, that's how that works. They, they weren't going around proclaiming these things. Instead, God himself proclaimed the birth of his son through the heavens. And the great star that shone in the east. And these men follow this star. They come to the house that Jesus is in, uninvited, and interrupt whatever was going on there. But they interrupted with what? With praise, with worship, with adoration, with gift giving. Gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Showing how that Jesus came not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And then Matthew says, now look at this. We've seen Jesus heralded by the angels. We've seen Jesus heralded by the stars in the sky. But now as Jesus is about to begin his ministry and right before he is about to be tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days, Jesus goes into the waters of baptism. And there in those waters, what does it say? Something that only happened a few times in all of Scripture. It says that the heavens were opened up. And a voice of the Lord came. And what did God say? He took ownership of his son. He didn't say, this is a really good guy. You're really going to like him. He didn't say, this man is powerful and you should pay attention. He identified and revealed Jesus as his own beloved son. And then said what? With whom I am well pleased. This is before Jesus' ministry has begun. This is before he endures his passion and the suffering that would lead to the cross. This is before he breathed his last breath and committed his spirit to God. It's before he was buried in submission to God. It's before even the resurrection. Before he had done anything. 
Matthew was going to take notice of, God himself says, this is my son, and with him I am well pleased. imagine what it would have been like to be there on that day. To be a witness to the heavens opening, to the voice of the Lord coming from heaven, to see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and resting upon Jesus. I think that it must have been awesome and terrible. All at the same time. And as we read today in our psalm, what did we read about the voice of the Lord? That it's nothing to be trifled with. It's nothing to take lightly. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord, what, breaks the cedars, the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Strips the forest bare. The voice of the Lord is nothing to be trifled with. Remember what the writer and preacher in Hebrews said about the voice of the Lord when it came at the mountain. What did it say? It says, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. In darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. That's what it's like to come and sit and hear the voice of the Lord, at least in the Old Testament. This is how God's people had heard it and received it. But let's remember what the preacher in Hebrews goes on to say. He speaks of Jesus himself, the mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, Jesus came to save, not to condemn. Jesus came to restore, not to tear down. He came as the servant that we read about in Isaiah 42. Who would do what? As we read at the opening of our service today. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. This is the spirit that Jesus came in. And as Jesus begins his ministry. And the heavens open and the voice of the Lord comes. We expect the whirlwind and the fire. But 
but instead we hear the voice of grace. <laughs> This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Grace before the action. Acceptance before sacrifice. Jesus at one with the Father and the Holy Spirit in full communion full of grace and full of truth. So what does this mean for you and I? Something that we need to understand is that here in the baptism of Jesus, we see the working of the Trinity, the tri-unity of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in one place at one time. At the very beginning of Jesus' work and ministry of restoration, Jesus was coming as a representative, a representative that we needed, a substitute representative, because we had had a representative already before. Remember? His name was Adam. That didn't work out so well. It didn't work out so well. At the very beginning of creation, when everything was fresh and new, and yet even there, if the Spirit was willing, the flesh was weak. And Adam was not able with perfection to represent all those who come after him faithfully to execute his mission with justice. Instead, Adam fell, and with Adam, we all fell. This is why Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. Beginning in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, Adam's sin was enough to cause all of us to be guilty. And no matter how many righteous acts had been done by Adam himself, by his sons, 
by all of the sons after them leading up to us today, even the full measure of all of those righteous acts added together could not move our sin a millimeter away from us. And yet through the righteousness of one man, Jesus Christ, all of our sinful deeds, Adam's and all of ours, from him to us and everything, would be covered completely under his blood and forgiven by the grace of God. Praise the Lord. And even as God the Father, Son, and Spirit were present at the beginning of creation, here as Jesus enters onto the scene to inaugurate a restoration, a new creative order, we see Father, Son, and Spirit present the same time, in the same place, in full unity and communion with one another. We see here in Jesus' baptism that he is, as we've said in our prayer, as I've mentioned already, he is revealed. There is an unveiling that Jesus had spent 30 years of his life in relative obscurity. Yes, the shepherds showed up at his birth. Yes, sometime later, these magi came from the east. But other than that, he lived in relative obscurity. Again, Mary and Joseph weren't running around trying to tell everybody who this was. Instead, he grew up in obscurity in a small town that most people said accounted for nothing in Nazareth. As even one of the disciples of Jesus would say, can anything good come from Nazareth? Yes, the very best thing in all creation came from Nazareth, but it may have been the only good thing to come from Nazareth. And here, after 30 years of relative obscurity, God rips back the curtain of heaven itself to reveal not only to John, but to all who were gathered there that day, that this man, fostered by a carpenter in Nazareth, dirty, stinky town of Nazareth, was none other than the only beloved son of God. This means that Jesus is not just a good man, he is the God of man. He is revealed as God's son. But there's something else that we need to see here. Go back to Psalm 29, if you would, and look at the last words of that psalm. It says, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. Remember that in verse 3, it had already said, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. But here it says, the Lord is sits enthroned over the flood. That he sits enthroned as king forever. And I believe that in modern evangelicalism today that we have forgotten part of what baptism represents. <coughs> Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. Here in Peter's epistle to the church, he speaks of baptism, picking up 
in verse 18, he points to Christ. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's what we've just been talking about in Romans chapter 5. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. What happened in the days of Noah? It's a flood. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, only Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives, were brought safely through water. Now listen to what Peter says in verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. The thing that we forget, because for us baptism is a very exciting thing, is it not? We celebrate here at Redemption Hill whenever we have a baptism. It's a time of joy, it's a time of celebrating. We see in this baptism one who is going from death to life. But we forget that the waters of baptism represent judgment. As Peter says here, the baptism corresponds with the flood. And what was the flood? The flood was a purging judgment on the world. Just like death was a judgment against sin. The flood was a judgment against the sins of the whole world. Jesus comes along. He says to his cousin John, now is the time. I need to be baptized by you. What? So that we might fulfill all righteousness. The waters of baptism represent judgment. The cleansing of baptism is a purging flow. But what happened after the judgment of God in the flood? Remember, it rained for 40 days and nights. Then Noah and his family were in the ark for an even longer time, waiting for that judgment to be complete. And at some point, Noah opens up the windows of the ark, and he sends out first a raven, or a dove. He sends out a dove, and then he sends out, the dove comes back. Then he sends out a raven. The raven comes back. Then he sends out the dove again. And the dove finally comes back with what? An olive branch in its mouth. Signifying that the waters had begun to go down and new life was springing forth from the ground. Which meant what? That the judgment of God was coming to an end and a new thing was beginning. That where men had been at enmity with God and received his just punishment, God sent Noah an olive branch. It's no mistaking why, even in common parlance, we talk about extending an olive branch to somebody. That comes from the Bible. And it speaks of peace. 
God had foretold John the Baptist that when the Messiah came, that he would see the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Meaning what? That Jesus was lowered into the waters of judgment. had no sin. He was perfect. For whom then was he being baptized? The inference is that he was being baptized for all those who need the forgiveness of God. And in his baptism, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, signifying what? Peace for those who would follow him. Beloved, Jesus is our ark. Even as Noah and his family went into the ark and they were saved from the judgment of God that came in the flood, Jesus is our ark. And it is only by taking shelter in him that we too can be saved from the judgment of God. The, the, the just wrath due our sin. And here, Jesus is lowered into the water for a baptism of forgiveness and repentance, not for himself, but for you and for me and for everyone that will follow in his name. Through baptism, Jesus identifies himself with sinners, though he had no sin. Because John's baptism, as I said, was for forgiveness of sins. He identified himself with us by coming and being born in our humanity. But he condescended further still to go into the waters of baptism and identify himself with guilty sinners like you. And in doing so, what did Jesus do? He did the same thing he always does. Remember, even as we're getting ready to go back into the Gospel of Mark in the coming weeks, whenever something unclean touched Jesus, did he become unclean? No, the opposite took place. When death touched him, death became life. When uncleanness touched him, uncleanness became clean. When sickness touched him, sickness became health and wholeness. And Jesus enters into the waters of baptism. And by doing so, what does he do? He identifies himself with our sin, takes our sin upon himself, and sanctifies even our own baptisms. You see, all of Jesus' life, yes, his death, yes, his death, was vicarious for us. But it was not only his death that was vicarious for us. If Jesus had come down from heaven and merely died for us, all that would do is bring us back to zero. Forgiveness. But we need more than forgiveness, though. Because yet as we remain in the flesh, the spirit may be willing, but the flesh is still weak. 
God went further than bringing us back to zero. What did he do? Jesus came and he not only died for us and in our place, he lived for us and in our place. So that his perfect life and substitutionary death might be for us. Remember the priest, he prays that the sins of the person would pass to the animal. He also prays that the innocence of the animal would pass back to the person. There was one problem with that system. It had to be done over and over and over and over and over and over again. But Jesus came at the right time to die for sinners like you and Lord. By living a perfect life for us and in our place and dying a substitutionary death for us and in our place by being buried in submission to the Father, fully at rest in his care, he was then vindicated and raised, overcoming death, sin, and the grave, not just for himself, but for you, for me, for everyone that will believe in his <coughs> All of Jesus' life and work is vicarious for those who call by his name. Because let's be honest, even our repentance needs repenting of. And Jesus, by his perfect life, sanctifies through his work, he sanctifies our work so that through Jesus we all get to hear the words of the Father. This is my son. This is my daughter. of our own effort and the works of our Savior who went before us so that we might follow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word today, this epiphany. May it shed light on our own hearts today. And God, if there is anyone in this room for whom Jesus has not yet been revealed as the only Son of the Father full of grace, and truth to take away not only the sins of everyone else but their sins would you today as in that day descend come Holy Spirit and reveal Jesus the Son so that we might repent and believe be forgiven made whole and walk in the newness of life thank you for your word today God we pray in Jesus name God bless you as we move into a time of communion. May we all feed on Christ in our hearts by faith today. <clears throat>
It is available in the handout as well as the app. Uh, Ashley, join me now in the very April. So again, I'll invite you to join me as we recite our apostles to be together, confessing our hearts. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And I would come up the communion. I'll invite you to uh, join us in this. Uh, this is for believers. Uh, so if you're, if you're here and you're a believer, you should join us. Uh, whether you're a visitor, a member, a long-time attendee, if you've made a profession of faith, then this is for you. You should join us. Um, in our practice, in this new arrangement, I'll have you basically, we will go inner row and outer row, just kind of go around like this and come by the table. So this row will go, the next row will go around and back to your seat. Take the elements back to your seat, and I will, uh, we'll go, we'll take them together, and I will direct them to the else. Take them back to your seat, I'll guide you in that. Again, this is for believers. If you have small children, if they made a profession of faith, they've enjoyed it. If they have not, they should abstain. Um, so now, as the music plays, I will ask you.
Turn to Matthew 26, starting in verse 26, we read. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take eat, this is my body. And so he takes bread. And took a cup. And when he given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my beloved covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not begin at this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Join me in a prayer for the body. Lord, come before you through right now to lift up those who are in need and those who are hurting in our congregation today, once. Uh, I especially would lift up for our brother Rolando uh, Roland and his, uh, his father, um, just as he is back in the hospital, Lord. We lift up for uh, your power and your healing in his life, Lord. Healing upon him, wisdom for the doctors and guidance and all of that, Lord. Uh, we pray for comfort for his family, uh, for his mother as well, who's here with us, Lord. We just thank you uh, for your already seen uh, answers to prayers you've seen in this Lord, I lift up others in our congregation. I know we have some struggling financially. We lift them up to the Lord to pray for your provision. Lord, they would learn, and through this, Lord, we will all see your hand at work. Your provision for them, Lord, and you provide exactly what we need. I know we have a few people preparing for, for surgeries in the future, Lord, and I just want to lift up them to you as they work with our doctors in the right time to prepare for that. Uh, for the wisdom there, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we live in a time where uh, there are such capabilities to have surgery and things like that. They can uh, so quickly guide the healing, Lord. But more than anything, we pray for miracles in those cases. Lord, your hand upon them that they, the doctors will be even surprised by the healing. Uh, thank you for the offering today, Lord, that uh, you have provided for us all of us. Thank you for this congregation that gives so faithfully week by week. There's no other way can we move forward week by week. Uh, lift up the church that hosts us, Lord, and thank you for them. Blessing upon us, Lord. That, that uh, they'd be blessed for providing this space. And finally, I just want to thank you, Lord, uh, for this special uh, time we're about to have of, of feasting, Lord, as Pastor Mike has called it. Lord, thank you for our sister Dana for organizing all of this for us. And just um, just thank you that we're able to come together now as a body in fellowship and joy um, and feasting, Lord, to celebrate the light of coming to God. All the great Jesus' name.